0: Passages of scripture that a lot of people in our world today in this country would not like. We've actually, last week in chapter 17, entered into a new section of the book of Leviticus according to the theologians. Leviticus 17 through 26, this section is called the Holiness Code, so we entered into a new Section, really, God gives Israel moral and sacred laws to help guide them in their everyday lives. And so these moral and sacred laws were given to Israel because of God's desire for them to be holy. As we read in Leviticus 19, verses 1 and 2, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy. For I, the Lord, your God, am holy. So here in the book of Leviticus, God commanded the priests that they were to be holy. Here in uh, chapter, well, in the book of Leviticus overall, I'm kind of getting my head a little gearing down from worship to teaching, get my head where I'm supposed to be. So I looked this up this afternoon. Um, where the Lord told the priests five times be holy. And it's found in Leviticus six eighteen, six twenty-seven, twenty-one, six, in that verse he said it twice and twenty-one eight. And likewise he commanded the people of Israel five times that they were to be holy. Leviticus eleven forty-four and forty-five, Leviticus nineteen, two, twenty-seven, 27. And I had this out of order in 26, so it should have been 6 and 7, but I got it backwards. But five times for the people that they should be holy, five times for the priests that they should be holy. And so really, this, these holiness code, the priests had their own code and their laws that were given to them in the book of Leviticus that we've already looked at in verses, or chapters 1 through 8, and the sacrifices In the sacrificial system, especially uh, 6 and 7, we have specific commands for the priests how they should conduct themselves when doing offerings before the tabernacle of the Lord. Yet, in totality, though, how does a priest, how does a person walk in righteousness before our holy God? Well, by walking in his statutes, ordinances, and the judgments of the Lord. The psalmist asks this question in one, Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? And then he answers, by taking heed according to your word. Again, in Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. And today we understand that God gave the law through Moses according to Galatians 3:24, to be a tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith so for Israel this is although it's a very long transition it is a transitional period as God moved from the perfection that he had created for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and because of sin they fell and they were put out of the garden. And yet even as God cursed them, he gave the promise in the very first gospel, the prototype gospel found in Genesis 3.15, telling of the woman's seed that there would be a conflict between Satan's seed and the woman's seed, and that seed referring to Jesus Christ himself. And so God is moving us from a place of the fall, a promise of redemption, and then setting his plan of redemption into motion. And we have been moving through uh, the destruction and the flood with Noah and then Abraham and his descendants after him, the Exodus. This is all part of God's plan of redemption moving us toward Christ, the law then becoming a tutor to bring us to Christ. Not that we're justified by keeping the holiness code, chapters 17 through 26 in the book of Leviticus, and then you have to keep the other all of the 611 or 13 laws that are found in the Torah, but that we should be justified by faith. God was guiding the children of Israel until the fulfillment of God's redemption plan that would be accomplished through His Son Jesus Christ upon the cross. And so we've last week, beginning in chapter seventeen, we moved in a different into a different section of the book of Leviticus, really telling the people how they ought to sh- conduct themselves as children of God. and there's that's seventeen through twenty six. there's only twenty seven chapters in the book of Leviticus, the last chapter deals with uh, the redemption of someone redeeming themselves back, as we'll get to that in chapter 27, but it deals with redemption. So let's go ahead and open in prayer, and we'll get into the teaching of God's Word, picking up in Leviticus chapter 18. So Father, we pray that you would uh, wash us by the water of your Word tonight. Lord, we're entering into some passages of Scripture that, Lord, it could get us banned on social media. And one day, Lord, if things keep moving the direction that they're moving in our country, uh, it will not be legal to even preach from these passages as it is in other countries, Lord. So it seems to be coming to this country as well. We thank you, Lord, that right now we have the freedoms to teach what your word says. Although we know that many in our country disagree with your word. But Lord, they disagree because they do not have a proper understanding of who you are and of the word that you have given us. That we might learn of you and learn how we ought to walk and to please you. That we might learn, Lord, of your son Jesus and how he gave his life upon the cross that we could be justified, not through our works, but through faith in the work of our Savior Jesus, that through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, that you could teach us how we ought to walk and to please God, how we might, as your church, be holy, because you are holy. So bless us, Lord, as we journey through these passages tonight. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as I go through these passages, I've been picking key verses from each of the chapters. Verse 5 is a key verse for me. In Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5, it says, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Now, I like that. Um, He shall live by them. If a man does, he shall live by them. I like that because... I strive to walk in obedience to the Word of God. I know I don't always fulfill that desire, but in the longevity of my life, I've strived to live by a biblical worldview, a biblical worldview of how I conduct and guide my life according to the Word of God and God's judgments, God's statutes. If a man, if a woman does, he or she shall live by them. The Lord said, I am the Lord. And so we are to observe, keep, and walk. Verses 1 through 5 of Leviticus 18, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Speak to the children of Israel. Say to them that I am the Lord your God, according to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt. You shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, Where I am bringing you, you shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. And so God preparing the children of Israel to enter into the promised land. It begins by teaching them his statutes his ordinances his judgments altogether uh, there's a slight debate on the number of laws as found in the Pentateuch the first five books of the Bible uh, either 611 or 613 I've always heard 613 those who proposed the 611 they say that they did a double count on a couple of those laws but the jews were not to live and here's lesson number one i do not want you to live as the egyptians from the land that i just brought you out of now they had been in egypt for over 400 years 430 years from the time that the lord brought them into the land of egypt until the day that he brought them out the bible says on that very same day they came out 430 years later so they had had a great example of Egypt in their lives they were not to conduct themselves like the Egyptians nor were they to walk in the ways of the Canaanites in the lands where they were going no doubt they had heard about the Canaanites their forefathers had lived in that land some 430 years earlier and so I'm sure a lot had changed in 430 years just think about our own country and how much has changed since the founding of our own country and the Lord said you're not going to walk like the Canaanites where you're going they were not allowed not to allow the world to have a controlling influence over their lives the children of Israel t- were to walk in they were to observe they were to keep they were to live by God's statutes God's ordinances God's judgments in other words they were to be in the world, but not of the world. In Romans 12 too, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. Don't be conformed to this world. And the world is every day trying to conform us to their thinking and their way. And. It is a distorted way of thinking. So how do we break away from being conformed into the world? How do we get to that place where we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds? It's through the washing of the water of God's word in our lives. So verses 6 through 18 and beyond that, but 6 through 18, he specifically gives prohibitions against sexual relations with near kinsmen. And it's interesting that verse 5, our key verse, I'll read it again for you. Well, not our key verse, but verse 5, that you, therefore, maybe it was our key verse, there it is, yeah. You therefore shall keep my statutes, my judgments, which a man does. He shall live by them. I am the Lord. So verse 5, a standard for all the various areas of our lives, it precedes this section of the law that deals with sexual purity. And these verses lay out various possible adulteries and sexual relationships that the children of Israel were not to do, relationships that were culturally accepted in Egypt and in Canaan. I don't want you to be like the Egyptians from where I brought you out of. I don't want you to be like the Canaanites where you are going. And these were acceptable practices. For example, the family of King Tut was a mixture of multiple relationships, Tut's wife was also his half-sister. His father was also his uncle. His mother was also his mother-in-law and so forth. This practice of inbreeding resulted in a high mortality rate at a young age. The average lifespan of an ancient Egyptian was about 30 years. So King Tut, the boy king who ruled for a mere 10 years, one of the most famous of all the pharaohs, far from being the slim athletic young man that he is usually depicted as archaeological evidence indicates that he had a club left foot he had severe malaria he had a cleft palate he had a curved spine he had a compromised immune system and a broken right leg which they theorize he may have broke his leg got an infection and died from that leg break most of these physical deformities may have been the result of decades of incest which was so popular among the ancient egyptian royalty rather than keeping the royal bloodline pure is what they thought they were doing they were actually the incest resulted in defective genes and many deformities so that king tut and i'm reading this from ancient Egypt online so I didn't get that from a biblical commentator I just went online because just a couple of weeks ago I saw a thing about King Tut and I thought hey that could be applicable (laughs) so they were to set themselves apart from the Egyptians from whence they came and the Canaanites to where they were going so therefore he lists out all these possibilities of sexual relations that were prohibited in Israel. They were not to have sexual relations with any of their near kin, verse 6. And so to make sure that they understood what near kin meant, you know, they asked those kinds of questions. When Moses said you could divorce your wife for any reason, they asked Jesus, what was that reason? So they would ask those types of questions. God gave them a list. He says, near kin includes your mother, verse 7, your stepmother, verse 8, your sister, verse 9, your granddaughter, verse 10, your half-sister, verse 11, your aunt, verses 12 through 14, your daughter-in-law, verse 15, sister-in-law, verse 16, a woman and her daughter or a granddaughter marrying a woman and her daughter or marrying a woman and her granddaughter that was not allowed. And finally, two sisters, verse 18. So, even though the culture here in the United States largely agrees with these prohibitions against the various adulteries that are incestual relationships, as mentioned, we find that our culture is quickly slipping away from its Judeo Christian morals upon which it's been founded. It even happened in the early church in 1 Corinthians 5 1. Paul reported, it's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you, such sexual immorality as not even named among the Gentile, that a man has his father's wife. And in that situation, Paul said, put the man out of the church. These prohibitions are being violated in our own culture at an alarming rate today. It's almost As if we're entering into a time where anything goes. And so God takes the list further in verses 19 through 30. That they were not to defile themselves. So a few more sexual prohibitions to keep Israel from being cast out of the promised land. God says, if you want to go this way, you're not going to end up staying in this land so to keep them from being cast out of the promised land just like the nation was being cast out of the land before them the canaanites god specifically names prohibitions against having sexual relations verse 19 a woman during her monthly menstrual cycle committing adultery with a neighbor's wife verse 20 sacrificing their children to Moloch. verse 21 against homosexuality verse 22 Bestiality, verse 23. In 24 through 29, I'll read this one, this passage for you. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all these nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For if the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land commits out its inhabitants, or vomits out its inhabitants. Inhabitants. <laughs> I need new glasses. Not really. There's a, a little Bible note with a C next to the vomit. And I guess I put that C and that note was too big for my eyes. Have me read commit when it said vomits. So I'll read that one again for clarity. For if the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it. And the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations either any of your own nation or any stranger who sojourns among you that's interesting i was thinking about that as was reading that because they'll repeat this stranger living among them several times throughout the uh, holiness code from leviticus 17 through 26 we'll hear that repeated in fact god uh, is very sympathetic to the strangers living among the israelis But they were to live among the Israelis as if they were Israeli. They couldn't have their own separate rules and laws. They had to live as the Israelis lived. And so I was just thinking about that. Uh, Someone I listened to quite often was like, that's good for you, but not for me. You know, he'll just kind of like that. Do you do you and I'll do me. But here it's like God said, no, we all have to do according to my word, my commandments, my statutes. Well, let me find my place again. So he said, verse 26, repeating it, You shall therefore keep my statutes, my judgments, and I shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. Verse 27, for all these abominations and men of the land have done... Who are before you and thus the land is defiled lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it as it vomited out the nations that were before you for whoever commits any of these abominations the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among their people so ultimately Israel would fail in many of these areas and God would judge them and the uh, ten northern tribes would be conquered by the Assyrians and scattered throughout the then-known world. The southern tribe of Judah would also be conquered about 100-plus years later by the Babylonians and taken into 70 years of captivity. So God said, the land will vomit you out. In fact, that's interesting because when Judah went into captivity, it was because the land did not receive its... uh, sabbath rest the year of jubilee and god added up all the time that israel had missed giving the land its rest and said and and he totaled it up and said you owe the land 70 years so 70 years the land will get so god uh really emphasizing the importance of the land itself They were not to do these things, lest they get vomited out of the land like the people before them. Ultimately, they would fail in these areas. Thus, God was calling Israel to keep his statutes, his ordinances, his judgments. In verse 30, closing out Leviticus 18, therefore, you shall keep my ordinance so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs which were committed before you and that you do not defile yourselves by them. I am the Lord your God. I am Yahweh Elohim. So each prohibition that was listed out, especially the list of all these adultery situations, you know, not your mother, not your mother in law, not your daughter, daughter-in-law. I mean he just went through and went through the list. They are ample enough fuel to give numerous episodes on our daytime TV talk shows. Sadly, the nation that Israel came out of, Egypt, the nation where they were going, Canaan, practiced practiced these things. And sadly, many in our own nation practice these very same things today. Nowhere, though, nowhere in the Bible does the Bible say that sex is wrong it does tell us that one sexual relation is to be confined in the marriage bed between one man and one woman, and only in the confines of marriage can we be assured of this sexual freedom and purity. Hebrews 13:4 says, "Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed is undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge." So we shouldn't go to the world. And I think this is a mistake within the church as well. We shouldn't go to the world, to our culture, to learn about sexual issues. Their information that they have is distorted and far from God's truth. Just look at what's trying to be and is being taught in our school system today, what they are trying to implement on our children and very young children as well. If Christian couples would learn to stick to the truth of God's word regarding sexual purity by taking time to grow together as husband and wife, they will discover that God has a design, has designed the marriage bed to be a lifetime of joy and fulfillment while keeping them sexually pure. That little paragraph came out of my premarital counseling sessions that I have with uh, couples when I'm preparing for their weddings and uh i talked to them and i i don't talk very well about this sexual stuff i can turn red in the face it's not my nature but i have strong opinions proverbs eighteen twenty two says and he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the lord so living a holy life leviticus 19 verse 2 a key verse Repeated often in Leviticus, speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for the Lord your God am holy. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. So this one chapter, Leviticus 19, if everyone in Israel, our own country, uh, the world for that matter, would live by this chapter, the world would be such a better place. I realized that we would still have the issue of our inherent sin nature as a result of the fall there in the garden, an issue that only Christ can deal with. But if we would strive to live according to these laws that God lays out for Israel in Leviticus 19 alone, this world would be a better place. Oh, we can dream, can't we? Verses one and two, the Lord spoke to Moses, speak to all the congregation of Israel. And the children of Israel say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So God sets the standard by which we should live holiness. And why? Because God is holy. Peter, even for the church, would reinforce this in first Peter one, fifteen and sixteen. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy as I am holy. And so Peter, referring back to these, and it's quoted several times Be holy because I am holy. We find it several times alone in Leviticus. But the church, we're also to conduct ourselves in these ways conduct ourselves in holiness. Why? Because we represent Jesus Christ. So we are to conduct ourselves in ways that brings honor to Jesus and to our Father God. You never want to hear someone say, Can you call yourself a Christian? Well, the only reason they would say something like that is because they've caught you doing unchristlike things. We are to watch how we should conduct ourselves. So verses three through eight he mentions four of the Ten Commandments and he doesn't do them in order. He begins in commandment number five, four, number one, and two. And so he rehearses for Israel four of the ten Commandments. first Israel is reminded to respect their father and mother. That's exodus twenty twelve Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God has given you. Second, they are reminded to keep God's Sabbath, commandment number four. Exodus 28, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And finally, they are reminded not to worship any other gods or to make any graven images. And that is commandments number one and two. And we read Exodus 20, verses three through five, Commandment number one, you shall have no other God before me. Commandment number two, verse four, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is on the earth beneath, that is in the water under the sea. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. I thought about that. um, Didn't put it into my notes, but I kept thinking about it today. He said, you shall not make any other God. Well, they would have to make another God because there is no other God but God, the holy and true God who created the heavens and the earth. Everything else is made by man and humanity. Moses stressed the importance of the law of the peace offering even here in this section of Leviticus 19 verses 1 through 8. He referred to the importance of the law of the peace offering in 5 through 8. And if you offer a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord, it shall offer it of your own free will, and it shall be eaten on the same day. On the next day you may eat it. If any remains on the third day, it should be burned with fire. Verse 7, if it is eaten on that third day, it is an abomination. It will not be accepted. And so therefore, everyone who eats shall bear his iniquity. And then he says, it's profaned the hollow offering of the Lord. That person is to be cut off. So he finishes out this section, stressing the importance of the law of the peace offering. A worshiper choosing not to obey these laws, like eating on the third day, would become an abomination. And God would not accept their offering and they were to be cut off. And then he goes on to the laws of gleaning, verses 9 and 10. He'll get into greater detail of this later on in the the book of Deuteronomy. But here he gives a general revelation of these laws of gleaning in verses 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not glean your grape your vineyard, and you shall not gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave some for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So these verses gives a standard for gleaning, which is a method that God gave to Israel that they might be able to care for their poor, not by by not taking a second pass. At harvest time uh, when it was harvest time they got one pass at it right now Lily and I are watching a peach tree in our yard and the peaches are starting to turn they're too firm as of yet but within probably a week they will be ready for picking but not all of them and so if it was in Israeli days You would pick the ripe ones and leave the unripe ones on the tree and never come back for them. They would also, when they harvest their field, they would leave the corners untouched that the poor and the strangers of the land could follow the harvesters and provide food for their families. In the account of Ruth and Boaz, this is a great example of this law in action because Boaz was obedient to the Lord in this manner. He not only helped to feed the poor, but more importantly, He found himself a wife because he allowed Ruth to glean in his field. And in addition to this, his offspring caused him to be written into the lineage of Israel's greatest earthly king, David. And moreover, into the lineage of Christ, our Redeemer. You never know what's going to happen when you obey the word of the Lord as Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David, the king. Matthew 1, 5, part of the lineages of Christ. So our country has a welfare system that has left many people dependent on the government rather than working to help provide for their families mm-hmm. once again god's way is better than man when i was on the board of love inc love in the name of christ a parachurch ministry that helps really helping the church help people within the church and outside of the church also to help them um, well the saying we had for a while to get, I can't remember the saying. Off on, I forget. It was a three three word thing. Off and on were part of it. Um, out, off and on. So out of their poverty, off of their dependency, and on with their life in Christ. That was the meaning behind that. It's been a while since I've been on the board of Love Inc. But we found that there were third and fourth generation um, welfare kids they grew up in it and their mom their grandmothers and the daughter and their children sons their children never getting out of it and that is not what God designed when we're obedient to the Lord you may end up being part of some great lineage like Boaz not that we can be part of the lineage of Christ like he was but We can be part of the family of God, that's for sure. Once again, God's way is always better. 11 through 18, to love your neighbor. And so I'm going to summarize these. Uh, To put it simply, we're not to lie, we're not to cheat, we're not to swear falsely, we're not to use the name of God in vain, verses 11 and 12. And they were not to cheat or rob their neighbor. They were to pay daily the wages owed to those who worked for them. Verse 13. They were not to curse the deaf or to put a stumbling block before the blind. They were, verse 14, to fear God. That would be cruel to cause someone who is blind to trip. They were shown no partiality whether someone was rich or poor. They were to judge in righteousness, verse 15. We see a lot of partiality in our judicial system today. No longer does it seem that our nation is striving to judge in righteousness to do what's right in all situations. They were not to be tell bearers nor stand against the life of another. Verse 16. They were not to hate their brother, rebuke their neighbor or bear sin because of them. Verse 17. They were not to take vengeance or bear any grudge against any of their people. But rather, verse 18, love your neighbor as yourself. So quoting verse 18 leviticus 19:18, love your neighbor as yourself we find it in the new testament jesus said that james called it the royal law in james 8 and 9 if you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture you shall love your neighbor as yourself you do well but if you show partiality you commit sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor God even dealt with breeding of their animals, sowing of their crops, and sowing their garments. Sowing and sowing. Kind of sound the same, but they are felt different. From breeding animals, sowing seeds, sowing garments, Israel was not to mix the breeds of animals, different types of seeds, different types of material. Neither were they to their men to mix or have sexual relations with a concubine who belonged to another. And if so, verses 20 through 21 says the price of that sin would be scourging. The male offender would have to bring a trespass offering before the Lord that the priest might make atonement for him. So it wasn't a sin leading to death, but he did have a penalty. And even laws concerning fruit trees. 23 through 25, when they planted an orchard, fruit was considered uncircumcised, uneatable for three years. In the fourth year, the fruit shall be holy, verse 24, a praise to the Lord. In the fourth year, the fruit belonged to God. It still sat on the tree. In the fifth year, the owner of the orchard was able to freely eat and sell the fruit verse 25. Israel's obedience to the Lord and waiting upon the Lord till the fifth year really was a sense of God promising to bless their orchards with fruitfulness and trusting in God that he would provide in the meantime. Proverbs 3 verses 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. We pick up in verses 26 through 28, uh, prohibitions against blood, certain types of haircuts, we would say, cuttings, cutting of the skins, and tattoos. By the way, this is the only place tattoos mentioned in the Bible. So no blood, divination or soothsaying, no unorthodox beard shaving. No cutting of the flesh and no tattoos. All these things were associated with the pagan worship of the countries where they came, Egypt, and where they were going, the Canaanites. And the Israelites were to stand in opposition against those whom the Lord was displacing out of the land. And they were to stand in opposition against the world by staying true to the Lord in faith and practice. So I looked up the issue of tattoos. I don't have any. And I think this one verse kept me from ever getting a tattoo. If you have one, I have no problem with it. But I looked up on Got Questions about tattoos. This is what they wrote on it. Kind of a long paragraph. We cannot leave the discussion, and this isn't the whole of it, but the end of it, We cannot leave the discussion of tattoos without looking at the Old Testament law that prohibited tattoos. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord, Leviticus 19.28. The reason for the prohibition of the tattoos in this passage is not stated. It is likely tattooing was a pagan practice connected with idolatry or superstition. It was probably common for the pagans to mark their skin... And the names of their false gods or with a symbol honoring some idol. God demanded his children to be different. As the Lord said, I am the Lord. So the Israelites belonged to him. They were his workmanship, and they should not bear the names of the false gods on their bodies. While the New Testament believers are not under the Mosaic law, God question goes on to say, we can take this. From this command that the principle that if a Christian chooses to get a tattoo, it should never be for superstitious reasons to promote worldly philosophy. Bottom line is that getting a tattoo is not a sin per se. It is a matter of Christian freedom. And you should be guided by biblical principles and rooted in love. Several years ago, one of our radio listeners who happened to be a police officer came. Uh, attending another church listens to our radio station came and sat and talked with me in the office and um, the Sunday prior and this might have been a Monday or Tuesday his preacher of his church got heavy on the tattoos while he had a pretty massive tattoo that everybody in the church knew he had and uh, He told me, he goes, what I've noticed with the tattoo and being tattooed like this, that it helps me to relate to the people that I have to deal with every day as a police officer. So for him, it became a point of connection. But he was really upset that the preacher took this in a way that you can't get a tattoo. I would never say that. This is covenant law for the Israeli people. If you're Jewish and following the Israeli law, then I would say to you, yeah, that's what the law states. But we are not. We are free in these matters, but we should be guided by principles of the law and rooted in love. Deuteronomy 14, 1 and 2 says, you are the children of the Lord, your God. You should not cut yourselves or shave the fronts of your head for the dead. For you are holy people to the Lord. Your God, the Lord has chosen you to be a people for Himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. And so they were st- to stand apart from the nations that the Lord were, was displacing as they came into the promised land. So 29 through 34, Israel, Israelis were not to sell their daughters in prostitution. That's a good thing. They were to keep the Sabbath. And revere the tabernacle. So no prostitution, verse 29. Revere the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath. Revere the tabernacle, verse 30. Do not regard mediums or spiritualists, verse 31. No tarot cards, no Ouija boards, no magic eight ball. (laughs) We're not to take a game of chance as Christians. They were to revere the elderly, verse 32. I think we fail in this in our culture today. And love strangers, verses 33 and 34. Throughout scripture from Old and New Testament, God teaches that we are to be kind to three classes of people. He's always looking out for the strangers, the orphans, and the widows. In fact, God gives an example of himself in Psalm 146, 9. The Lord watches over the strangers... He released the fatherless and the widows, but the way of the wicked he turns upside down. And James 1:27 said, "Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this: you shall visit orphans and widows in their troubles, you shall keep yourself unspotted from this world." 35 through 37, they were to have honest weights and measures; they were to observe and perform all God's statutes and judgments because God is the Lord. They were to have honest weights and measures. God would go into greater detail to the next generation in Deuteronomy chapter 25 and say, you're not to keep different weights in your bag. Like you have weights that when you're selling something, you get a better deal for yourself. And weights when you're buying something, you know, um, you get a better deal. I said that backwards. When you're selling something, it's always about you. When you're selling something, you're ripping the person off that you're selling to. You have a different weight. But when you're buying something, you have weights that give you the better deal. You're not to have different weights in your band, bag. Deuteronomy 25:15, You shall have perfect and just weights, perfect and just measures. Let your days in, be lengthened in the land which I am giving you. Proverbs 11:1 Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but just weights are his delights. So the standard that all Christians should live by is this, that we are to love God and love others. Jesus said in Matthew 22:37 through 40, You shall love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So all of this is really the 611 or 13 laws that's found in the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses, of the Bible here. They all hang on love, loving God, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Chapter 20, not going to be too long in this chapter, in Leviticus Chapter 20, verse 7, Consecrate yourself, therefore. Be holy, because I am holy. I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my statutes, verse 8. Perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So chapter 20, God actually repeats several of the thou shall nots, some that we've already looked at tonight. God twice pronounces judgment of people being cut off, meaning to be put to death. Often these offenders were excommunicated from their communities. Nine times, God pronounces that they should be put to death. And these judgments, though they may seem harsh to us, they were to be the standard by which Israel was to live. In 1 through 6, no human sacrifice. God pronounces death to the worshiper of the God of the Ammon. Ammonites, Molech, because the worship of Molech involved human sacrifice, usually that of their babies. And God also pronounced death to those who would hide their their eyes from the worshipers of Molech. I said earlier, one person I listened to, he would often say, you do you and I'll do me. Well, they were not to hide their eyes If they would hide their eyes, deliberately ignoring the evil that was before them, they would also be found guilty. And finally, in verse 6, God condemned those who turned to mediums and familiar spirits. They were not to look to the occult. We shouldn't. To spiritualists, to demons, to the dead. We are to look to Christ. We are to look to God as Israel was to look to God. And this is repeated in verse 27 again not to look to mediums and familiar spirits. So it's repeated twice here. God said in Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Exodus 20, verse 4, you shall not make any graven images. In 7 through 8, they were to sanctify themselves. He says, consecrate yourself, therefore. Be holy, for I am holy. I, the Lord your God, am holy, and you shall keep my statutes and perform them I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So God first commands them to sanctify themselves. So the same Hebrew word translated in the New King James is consecrate yourself can also mean to be sanctified. God commands them, sanctify yourselves, be holy. And then he says, I, the Lord, sanctify you. God is the one who ultimately sanctifies us. We are to strive for holiness, but we can't do it apart from the work of God in our lives. But by separating ourselves unto God, by walking in the truth according to his word, it all works together to help to sanctify us in our lives. 1 Thessalonians 5:23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and also will do it. God will sanctify you completely. 9 through 23 deals with sexual purity again. Just going to summarize these for you. In verse 9, he begins. This isn't necessarily sexual purity. The overall theme of this section is, though. He begins by saying that you shouldn't curse your father and mother. Anyone who does will be put to death. So respecting one's parents is a big deal to God. Exodus 12, 20, verse 12, the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. Verses 10 through 23 deals with sexual adultery. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. And then specifically listing out, again, different types of sexual sin. Like a man having sex with his mother's, with his, hmm, like a man having sex, there's a lot of different things here. A man having sex with another man's wife, verse 10, his stepmother, verse 11, his daughter-in-law, verse 12, another man, verse 13, marrying a mother and her daughter, verse 14, mating with an animal, and this is male or female, verses 15 and 16, Having sexual relations with a sister, whether full or a stepsister, verse 17. Having sexual relations with a woman during the menstrual cycle, verse 18. And that was, uh, I'll I'll come back to that in a moment, or with his aunt or sister-in-law, verses 19 through 23. The menstrual cycle, that's the third time I think we've mentioned that. It goes back to chapter 17 and the prohibition against the blood that God has set apart the blood. Remember our memory verse? For the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. It is the blood that makes atonement for your souls, Leviticus 19.11. And those, these prohibitions against the blood of eating blood, sexual relations during a menstrual cycle, they're all tied together with that prohibition and the setting apart of the blood for the redemption of our souls. So these sins were not only against the man who committed them, but also the woman, the women, the men who participated with them. Both men and women were prohibited from adultery, bestiality, homosexuality. And sadly, the nations that they were displacing out of the promised land were doing all these things. Sadly, we find these things are being done in our own nation today. So the chapter closes, verses 24 through 27, of God reminding Israel that His gift of the promised land was not because of their righteousness, but because He had separated them out from all the other nations of the world. Therefore, they were to be a distinct people, making distinction between that which is clean and unclean, whether of the beast, of birds, or creeping things. And thus, verse 26 God said again, You shall be holy to me. For I, the Lord, am holy. But since no one is justified by the law in the sight of God, what good does it do for us to try to keep or walk in the ways of the law? Well, first of all, because they are good. The man who does them shall live by them. But secondly, because they reveal our inability to keep the law. James would say that we break one point of the law. We're guilty of all the law. And this is where Jesus comes in. He's already paid the penalty of our sin through his death on the cross that through faith in his name, we might be sanctified, cleansed, and made holy. Let's stand together. All right. I'm going to close this out with the ABC of salvation. A couple of things. For you to keep in prayer um, we had uh, last Sunday two Sundays ago we had most likely a lightning strike that took out a portion of our radio board um, so we lost our basically if you're into stereos you always have the outputs that go to your speakers well our output the output that goes to the transmission tower is dead i'm actually running the radio station through headphone jacks right now Um, so the meters are dead second time this year Uh, keep that in your prayer for provision Uh, it's not going to be as costly as the first time but the first time around we spent over five thousand dollars correcting things back in april and uh to have it happen again was not good news and uh Keep that in your prayers. We appreciate your prayers for God's provision. And I've really uh, expanded my prayer over the last couple of weeks because of the recession that our nation has found itself in, although they won't say that yet. The inflation that we find ourselves in, we definitely know that's happening. I believe we're in a recession. Um, It's hard and troubling times, and we've seen... The difficulty in our own family, in the families of this fellowship and in this church. So I've been praying for I just taught on this a few weeks ago on Sunday morning, but praying the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread, talking about physical and spiritual need. And uh, I've been praying that for our church body and for our members within our church that God would provide for them and the needs that they have physically and spiritually but also provide for this fellowship as well this coming sunday we continue our journey through our chronological journey through the gospels we're still dealing with the sermon on the mount and we're in matthew chapter 7 we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14 thought about taking the whole chapter but i usually keep us too long if i grab too much on a sunday morning so we'll break it in half And I titled it, Entering by the Narrow Gate. This coming Sunday morning at 10 a.m., we have men's breakfast this Saturday from 8 to 10. You're more than welcome, guys, to join us. And I'm going to do the ABCs of Salvation, and then we'll close in prayer. So here on Wednesday night, I've, for the last year and a half plus, been doing the ABCs of Salvation. Not so much lately, but I wanted to get back to that. I had a friend who uh, commented because he's listening to the teachings and uh, really liking the ABCs of Salvation. So I've actually had a couple of people comment about me doing these and uh, really liking the ease of how you can share with others. So that's part of my motive behind this, the ABCs of Salvation. It's easy to share your faith with others, as easy as ABC, but also... uh, how to be saved the a admit admit to god that you are a sinner and ask for his forgiveness romans 3 23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god but first john 1 9 tells us if we confess with our mouth that jesus is lord believe in our heart that god raised him from the dead you shall be saved so confession He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. We need to also believe. Believe in the work that Jesus did upon the cross, his death, burial, his resurrection, and receive that gift of salvation. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we have to believe in the work that Jesus did. The setting apart of the blood from Leviticus seventeen eleven, as God said, it is the blood that I've made makes atonement for your soul. Ultimately, the blood of Jesus Christ makes atonement for our souls. We have to believe in the work of Jesus. And the C, confess, confess your faith in Jesus Christ, share that with others. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved with the heart. One believes unto the righteousness with a mouth. Confession is made unto salvation. Romans ten thirteen, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For those who might be listening on the radio right now, those who maybe will hear this at a later time, if you've. Would like to pray to receive Jesus, have prayed, but have questions, please email us at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. Of course, if you're here, you can always talk with me. If you're here tonight, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, you have given us your word that we may live thereby, but in the process of Going through these laws tonight, perhaps, Lord, we've been guilty of some of these things. It was a standard that you gave to the children of Israel that they should conduct their lives to represent you before all the other nations of the world. But even the children of Israel failed. We have failed, Lord. Therefore, the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ, to show us that we cannot do it on our own. the knowledge of good and evil they failed with one rule israel lord initially you gave them the decalogue the ten commandments but they would break the ten ultimately lord in the pentateuch they would be 613 laws but they would not be able to keep these laws all these things pointing us lord to jesus christ the perfect man the son of god Who came to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, that through his sacrifice upon the cross, his blood covers a multitude of our sins, that we might be forgiven and walk in fellowship with you, our Father. And of this we give you praise. This night we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.